Starting the book of Romans, I will read the introduction from the study Bible. While the Gospels communicate the good news of Jesus Christ through stories about his life and ministry, the book of Romans articulates the message in a more technical and philosophical way. This book, rich in theory and teaching, communicates the ins and outs of how a person is redeemed, transformed, sealed, and sanctified for the day when we will all stand before the Lord. It explains that salvation is received by grace through faith. It articulates the foundation of the Christian belief, explaining how the good news of salvation has been made available through Jesus' death on the cross, and it actually worked out through the Holy Spirit's work in us. Reading this book has been a turning point for many. It helped Martin Luther to discover that faith alone justifies a a crucial truth that helped bring about the Reformation. If you desire spiritual renewal, reading Romans is a good starting point. Who wrote the book? Well, actually, I'm going to add a little commentary on that. Um, the book of Romans, It's uh, I like the way the study guide said that, you know, Martin Luther, I guess, reading this, changed his opinion about what he had been taught. And in my opinion, that is still true today, that... Reading scripture is our best source of information and truth, and there are going to be areas of scripture where people will disagree or have different interpretations on it, and that's um, there still is today. There's still people who have different interpretations of scripture, but it's important to pray about it and to ask God for the truth. Um, we don't want to have any false beliefs and Scripture is important, and Scripture interprets Scripture. So always go to Scripture for the truth and always pray to God for it. Don't take anyone's opinion of anything. Look at Scripture and see if you can find it for yourself. The way Scripture is put together, and I believe this is a spiritual thing or a God-influenced thing that scripture interprets scripture. So throughout the books, you will find support, you will find information that will often clear up something that isn't clear in one book. You'll find it, it could be Old Testament to New Testament. It's amazing how the Bible does that. I'll get back to um, who wrote this book. The Apostle Paul, who wrote about the grace of God from both experience and his training and education. Why was it written? Paul wrote, number one, to introduce himself to the believers in Rome and enlist their help in spreading the gospel, and two, develop and defend the truth of the gospel message he had been preaching, and three, to encourage the Roman believers to rely solely on God's grace for their salvation. Three, helping them understand it was... 324, and then helping them understand how people can be made righteous and live transformed lives through Christ. When and to whom was it written? Romans was probably written AD 57 to believers, most of them Gentile, in Rome, the capital city of the Roman Empire. What to look for in Romans? Watch for major themes of faith, grace, righteousness, and justification. You'll find the foundation of the gospel that comes by grace through faith in the first 
11 chapters. Then in the last five chapters, you'll discover practical implications of faith and righteousness, how faith works itself out in everyday life. So before I get started on reading the actual scripture, I want to say a prayer to God that God, please bring to mind anything that you, through the Holy Spirit, anything that you want me to talk about as we go through this, because I have not pre-read this. Um, I've read it before, but I haven't pre-read it today, and I'm just going to go through scripture, but I want anything, other scripture, anything that brings to mind, I want it to be from you as we read this. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter one, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who was, who as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to to call all Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. And you also are among these Gentiles who are called to belong to, and you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So it's in right in here, it's important because Paul was sent to the Gentiles. Now, Paul, from his experience, was very, was extremely knowledgeable in Judaism. And he was actually, before he was changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was persecuting Christians and killing them. And he's even, I believe it's even he that's mentioned um, in the stoning death of Stephen. So Paul had done some pretty serious things, but was truly changed after he saw the vision of Jesus and um, had experienced blindness and then got his eyesight back. So he is, um, that's the, the experience that he had appears to be the motivating factor in how strong he is and all of these things that he said, because he had such an, a strong experience. And I think that happens to people when their experience, their faith believing experience is significant, then people talk more about it. They, when they have something that just made a huge impact on their life, they're going to share that with other people. And I think that's a lot of how God works with people because I've seen that in other people before. And I've seen that in myself. Like I never would talk about the gospel or about any of this before I had personal experiences. So it it does make a difference. And uh, I see that in other people, depending on what circumstances they came to faith in, says a lot about how they go forward after that. But um, it is an interesting point here because one of the points that I know we will get to later because I'm studying with another group this book and we've been doing it for a while, but it's about the the point of election. And um, I disagree with others who are in my study group um, about election. I do believe because scripture says that election 
occurs, but I just don't think it's for every single person. And I think this is my opinion. I think that Paul clarifies it in saying that, um, you know, some are for uh, special purposes and some are for common purposes. Um, He says something about the potter. It has to do with the potter and the clay. And he said, cannot the, 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 Um, potter use some of the clay for special purposes and some for common purposes. And I believe that kind of just says that some people are, are chosen by God for special purposes. Um, but I don't believe it has a salvational tie to it. And that's one of the debates. Some people do believe that. So don't believe me. Don't believe other people. Read scripture for yourself and decide what you think. But in this first statement that Paul has in chapter one, he was called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. And I believe that, obviously, because Jesus appeared to him in a vision, he was knocked off his horse and was blinded. And then Jesus told him how he would be healed from his blindness. Now you have an experience like that. Don't think that you're not chosen. I mean, Jesus called him by name. He's like, it was Saul at the time. And he goes, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Paul, and then he called him Paul. So Paul was the, um, he, you know, as a changed person, I mean, he was definitely called by God very literally and, um, you know, used for God's will, God's purpose and that's you know very evident in scripture the gospel promise um, the gospel he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures so the prophets spoke about jesus and if you go back into the old testament you will find an incredible number of references to jesus and as jesus or as john says off- often because i just recently read the gospel of john he often says and this happened so that the scriptures could be fulfilled because he makes note that when Jesus does something specific, it was fulfilling a certain scripture from the past um, in the Old Testament, what the Jewish faith, you know, the prophets from, you know, that are part of the Jewish faith. So um, it's just showing they were talking about Jesus. And then as you read the gospel, you will see that it is um, referenced within the gospel, especially through a study guide, because then in the study Bible, it'll show you the one I have, um, which is the Quest study Bible. It'll show you at the bottom of the page, the references to where it was in the Old Testament that you can go back to and you can read it for yourself. So that's very helpful. Anyway, getting back to scripture. So um, Paul's writing to uh, the believers. So they're already believers and he's writing to them, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. 
I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I have planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. That's an important um, statement there. So that's in um, chapter 1, verse 16. It says, because of the gospel, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So it's anyone who believes, it's through the power of God that we brought to salvation. Um, It's God's revealing. And as God says, if we seek him, we will find him. So if someone truly seeks and wants to know, it doesn't mean that you start out with belief. You could be an atheist. And then all of a sudden you're curious and you're like, well, I wonder what, you know, I really want to know. And even I guess it's really kind of hard to pray to someone you don't believe, but some atheists in their testimonies have said that they've said, God, if you're real, then, you know, make it known to me or something. You know, that's something that you could say if you are an atheist and read scripture because it's through reading scripture that people come to faith because there's something supernatural about this. You will find it when you read it. It's not just a book. It's very different than that. And it's something... It's something special. It is inspired. They are, they are the inspired words of God. So just as this says, but um, the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless and wickedness of people. Here's something that, you know, people will always say, well, God is love, or, you know, it goes on, you know, people struggle with this. So here's another concept that people, the wrath of God. So we also have to remember that God is just. So if someone is just, they're going to have to deliver good things and bad things. So that is God. He's doing both. And it's, you know, it's not the wrath is not on the people who are obedient to him. That's not what God does. But look, it says the godlessness and wickedness of people. He's against the godlessness and wickedness of people. Notice also, it does not say, it does not say the people. He's against the godlessness and the wickedness. He wants to eradicate the godlessness and the wickedness out of people, if you want to make it even more clear. But it says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since that may be known, since what may be known about God's 
about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So when someone reads scripture and God makes it plain to them, but they still reject it, that's when he's opposed to the person because it's very clear to a person, but they just reject it. Sometimes people can read it and not understand it. And it's only through, as this scripture says, it's through God that we do understand. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Okay, we should read that one again, because this says, and a lot of people say this, you know, they say, well, what if somebody doesn't get to know God? You know, that's not fair. Well, here it says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So everybody, according to this, everybody is going to have that sense that God is real just from the things that a person experiences in their life. And that is just, you know, that that affects every single person. We have experiences in life and things happen. And at some point, we're going to see that God is real. And that's what the scripture is saying to me. That's how I understand it. And this is from the creation. So this is from the very beginning of time. And if we think about it, it says, um, uh, by faith, you know, by it talks about by faith through Romans, and I think that's through in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about that. Um, but about Abraham, how he was justified by faith, um, because it's about the belief and the belief in God um, that started way, you know, at creation. So, anyway, I'll get back to scripture. Um, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, not nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, this is really interesting, okay? This is something that, you know, hit me when I read it too because I wrote in my in my book, like, to the Romans, you know, with the exclamation points. I mean, think about, like, all the Greek and the, the statues and then Rome and even today, the statues. And this is a, this is a point of... Uh, awakening that I had was um, in Exodus 20. If you go through the Ten Commandments, you will notice um, if you are in Catholic faith, you will notice that the order of the Ten Commandments doesn't line up and there's one that's missing. And the one that's missing in the Ten Commandments is about the images. It says, do not make graven images. And it talks about idols, but look for yourself. Go to Exodus 20 
And then if you have a Catholic set of Ten Commandments, um, compare those to Exodus 20, and you will see what I'm talking about. But here, this is another thing where it's concerning to me. I mean, this is like a, a flag to me, like say, hey, look at, look at this, pay attention. Um, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And so anyway, then the next sentence is, therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now, there's a, there's a few times in scripture where I've noticed this too, which is also a red flag and a warning to people, to all people, is that at a certain point in us people rejecting God and rejecting what he says through scripture, when we know this is what God once, there's a certain point where God will just say, enough, I'm turning you over to that. And then he just lets people have their way. Like he, I, it just, it says that in scripture. Um, there's a few times where it's like he repeatedly goes to someone. We don't have a, a number or a count of how many times God goes to a, comes to a person and, and tries to get them to change their ways to live according to his commands. But he does. It's, it's up to him. We're not God. God makes that decision. But it's clear in Scripture, historically, that God has to certain people given them this chance, this chance, this chance, and then all of a sudden says, nope, that's it. You're done. And that put a little bit of fear in me when I first read that, realized that from reading scripture, because I reflected on myself. I don't want to be, I don't want to, I don't want to test God. It says, don't test God. Like, can I get one more time where I do something that I know God doesn't want me to do? Or is God just going to like, you know, cut the ties then say, you've had enough opportunities and I see what's in your heart. You're not changing. That's a very concerning thing because that would be a salvational thing where you would just, where you would not be in God's kingdom later on because of the choices that you make today. And that's what this is really talking about too. It's about, it's talking about um, the, you know, God, therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Then getting back to scripture, it says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. So this is this is a part of scripture that's very clear, and it talks about the natural um, desires and unnatural desires, and how God gives someone over if they persist in a certain way. And anyone can change because there are things in 
um, throughout scripture that when you read it, when you believe it, things will change. When you ask God for the Holy Spirit and your heart is really truly intent on changing something, maybe something that you see inside of yourself after reading scripture. First of all, when you read scripture, it's it's you're not going to like it. There's just going to be like a resistance to it, maybe an anger to it, uh, maybe a pushback on it. But if you stick with reading scripture and you start reading and you and you pray about it and you're really seeking God, you will soften and you will realize what God is trying to do. God is trying to bring us into eternity. And those things that we do that he tells us not to do are the things that will prevent us from being in God's eternity. This does not mean that it is by works that you get to eternity, just like Paul will say later. It's by grace. It's only through Jesus Christ that we are able to get into eternity with God. But our actions do matter. Just like James said, it's faith without actions is dead because the wages of sin is death. So if we stay persistent in sin, in any sin, it doesn't matter what sin it is. If we continually are unrepentant in doing a sin that God told us not to do, but we keep on doing it in unrepentant sin, the wages, what we get paid for that is death. That's eternal separation. That is hell. Hell is real. And this is really kind of unfortunate, but you know, God is just, people that go to hell will be tormented forever and ever. It doesn't say that the torment will ever stop. People will be paid. It's like what you reap, you will sow. And that's the harsh reality. It's not what I'm saying. It's not a church's opinion. It's what God says. And if you don't believe it, read scripture because you will find that. What you what you reap, you will sow. So it does matter how people live. And it's very clear in scripture. And it's, you know, it is scary when you read it because this is true. This is going to take place someday. We're all going to have to face this. And it's important that everyone knows that because the choices you make are going to affect your future. So getting back to scripture. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So it's really clear from what Paul's saying that anyone who stays in persistent sin is eternally separating themselves from God. God's there trying to pull them back, saying, come back to me, because God loves all people. But he gave people, this is where 
I find that this this scripture here talks about, you know, when we talk about election, which was a, a person's opinion. I think it's John Calvin's um, opinion was the election thing. Uh, clearly here, there was a point where God allowed them to continue making decisions, and then he just turned them over to that. He said, fine, you know, you go ahead. This is what you keep choosing. This is what... It's not a surprise to him. I mean, he knows what everything is going to happen. So um, he knows he's giving people the opportunity. And there are people who change. People can be in this, in this situation um, as described. People can be sinful. I mean, all people are sinful. So everyone has their own sin that they struggle with. And people change when they come to God, when they seek God, when they believe and when they ask for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit starts to change people. So you have a helper. And that's what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, I'll send you the advocate, the helper, and he will help you in all things. So it's not by our own ability that we change. It's through the Holy Spirit. But we have to be open to receiving the Holy Spirit and desiring of that, or it won't be given to us. And we have to have good intentions or it won't be given to us. So that is chapter one. I don't think I'm going to get to chapter two. So um, we will start there next time.